Hi friends, this is Samuel, co-host of The Back Page. Matthew was away this week, so I recorded this episode with Jeremy Peel, sometime guest. Just be aware that we had some audio syncing issues in the second half of this episode, that because we recorded it so late in the week, it was too late to actually solve it before this episode went live. Nonetheless, I hope you still enjoy the episode. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Back Page, a video games podcast. My name is Sammy Roberts. I'm joined not by Matthew Castle, but by Jeremy Peel. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. I'm very happy to have Jeremy uh, join us. Uh, Matthew Castle is um, temporarily indisposed. He sends his love. Um, I uh, I think he was like taken into sort of shock after um, destroying me in the 90s PC gaming draft poll. He wasn't mentally ready for that, so um, he's needed a little rest. But I'm delighted to be joined by a returning guest and Jeremy Peel. How's it going, Jeremy? Are you well? I'm good, thanks. Yeah. Um... Hay fever season has started, um, so it's the time of year where I post the gif of uh, Mark Damon in the Martian desperately trying to seal up his spacesuit to avoid contact with the uh, the atmosphere. Uh, but apart from That's that, good. I'm good. That's good. Is that like something you got as a scheduled post for like the next ten years? Just have that kind of ready. Um, yeah, like mid June. Tweeted it in about twenty sixteen, and that, you know, once a year I unretweet it and then retweet it again, and. Uh, <laughs> I think it has about 11 likes now that's pretty solid well yeah if you want to go throw jeremy a like for that then um by all means jeremy d peel on twitter um you know just support that great meme content very valuable um yeah i'm so pleased you could join me uh jeremy's my first ever guest co-host so um i really appreciate that um i was curious because you are a big pc gaming uh sort of like guy and that's like your background uh, we last had you on to talk about immersive sims when Deathloop came out um, I wanted to get you on before then, but I, I failed to finish the Witcher series, so I've been very slow with doing with doing that. I, I appreciate that really because I'm also trying to play as much Witcher as I can in anticipation of our episode for that, and I was secretly hoping that you were kind of pushing it back as well. Just kind of com- having committed to that and realizing how much Witcher there is, my lord. <laughs> But uh, it'll be great once we get there. Yeah, I sort of um, you had some great tweets on Witcher lighting, um, so um, you know, going real deep, I see, which is exciting. <laughs> um, but yeah, like um, I kind of wanted to do that episode when I wanted to play all three of them properly, and I thought we could maybe try and time it when the uh, next gen um, re- revamp arrives. So that might be uh, a good way to do it. But um, yeah, so I, I suppose um, Jeremy, you've started a new job, so I, I guess I'll ask about that. Um, so you started Tech Radar Gaming, right? Um, sort of, uh, you were a freelancer before, so what, what led you down that path? Yeah, I didn't really expect to uh, go for a staff job. I really like freelancing and the and the freedom of it. But um, more than, you know, somebody I really respect, a great friend, is, uh, is Julian Benson, is the uh, editor-in-chief at TRG. We're trying to get people to call it TRG. Uh, which sort of reflects that it's you know hopefully going to have its own voice and that's what I'm there to try and help do is define that and yeah it just seemed like the best opportunity for me to pass on some stuff I've been doing this for 10 years now and um, it feels like I would like to you know improve the industry a bit and and 
pass on some some features writing knowledge to some people so that's what i'm doing i'm features editor i should say that's my new job yeah i'm, I'm, I'm pleased that like you know some uh, sort of like black friday ssd sales money is going on some rad uh, features about old pc games now i assume that's what you're doing <laughs> yeah i felt a little guilty this last week even with um you know a lot of my teammates have been doing the the um brutal late e3 or not e3 shifts um whereas in features my my role in that is sort of to sit back and, and analyze and stroke my chin and then the next morning write some kind of musing take that's not amusing my writing isn't amusing at all musing um <laughs> yeah so that's that's what i've been doing is is sort of stepping back thinking about what the implications of things might be which is not really something you get to do if you work in uh, e-com to be honest valuable role too but um yeah very very different um so yeah that's uh, that's great congratulations that's uh, that's cool to hear about um I was curious, um, as someone with a big piece of gaming background, uh, did you listen to the draft episode last week? Or have you seen our draft picks? Did you have any kind of like, take on who the winner was? Because Matthew beat me about, about uh, and he had about 50% more votes than I did. And I was a little bit devastated because I felt like I had some better deep cuts than him. He did have a very good list, but um, did you have any reflections on our picks? Did you see that sort of pan out? I'm, I'm about halfway through currently, so I'll uh, withhold judgment on who I think the winner was. But... Um... I, I enjoyed hearing a lot about Baldur's Gate and I particularly enjoyed hearing you moan like a wounded animal when Matthew picked uh, TIE Fighter. There's just something very funny about um, the idea of a man spending hours researching a thing and then, you know, with the assumption that it, it was going to help him and then in the event all it did was help your opponent but you still felt compelled to use that research and, uh, and to sell that game. Um, and uh, maybe that was your downfall. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, like um, one voter said that they voted for me because I did such a great job of um, explaining Matthew's picks. And I was like, <laughs> that's. I kind of respect the process there. It's like, look, you didn't pick the best games, but you did do the best explaining of the best games. So here's here's my vote. Um, I enjoyed that. Um, <laughs> would it, what was there anything that you would have picked instead, Jeremy? Any kind of nineties PC classics that? you felt like needed to be in there i suppose you're still listening to the episode right but yeah um, i mean yeah. Baldur's gate would have been my first pick as well that's a very formative one for me and um i think you did a good job of um selling how not just how important it is but also that it's still a, a lot of fun i don't i don't you know i sometimes worry about selling how important a game was because i don't think that really excites people to to play a thing <laughs> you know like, this is very influential okay i will play what it influenced but I think Baldur's Gate actually has a really sort of unique, um, sort of the best Fellowship of the Ring game to my mind. It's um, it really captures sort of the danger of the wilderness and you know showing up at a friendly seeming inn and have somebody jump you outside and try to kill you. Uh, yeah, I love it. I can't get enough of that game. <laughs> well, damn! I should have had you come on and explain it for me. Maybe I would have got more votes. That's, uh, <laughs> that's good. You um, I, I assume you're a big Planescape Torment guy too, Jeremy. But um, I mean, you know, this whole lineage of games is something you're very into, right? Yeah, like all the Infinity Engine stuff is um, is big for me. That was what I was buying for a, a fiver at ASDA in uh, 2001. <laughs> so um, you know, it's uh, it's it's deep a deep part of my makeup. Yeah, for sure. Um, so for this episode, I've brought Jeremy on to talk about our um, most anticipated uh, games of. Um, uh, well, of the future essentially. So we're we're coming off the back of not E3 or Key3 or whatever um, sort of like um, SEO unfriendly term you want to describe it. So um, we're excited to get into that. Um, I've got 
a little bit um sort of more i want to dig into with jeremy here before we get to our um our two top 10 lists so um people can look forward to that but um jeremy i was curious what your last days of freelance were like did you treat it like your sort of last days alive did you try and tick off some things that you would sort of like done before uh before moving into a full-time gig yeah exactly that i was very conscious of it and, and quite self-indulgent about it so i i um i booked myself courtesy of uh Catherine, uh, RPS, uh, onto uh, eFanfest in Iceland, which you know only games journalists know is the uh, <laughs> is is the best trip in the business, um, just in terms of uh, location and the stories you get to write up and the amount of time you just get to to be with your peers and have a lovely time. That was really nice, you know, having not seen anyone for the majority of the time I was freelance, you know, during the pandemic. That felt like a, a really nice way to sort of cap it off. I uh, I asked Edge if for my last thing I could write a, a time extend on Bioshock Infinite. Just pick something really naughty, you know, and uh, <laughs> work out how I felt about it. So uh, you can look forward to that in an upcoming Edge at some point. Is there anything you can hint at as to what the uh, what present day Jeremy's takes on Bioshock Infinite are? I sort of felt like. Um, my my feelings on the game itself haven't changed very much, but I think it's a little sad that um, because of the the sort of weight we placed on it at the time to uh, to sell games as art, um, out of perhaps a collective sort of um, you know need to impress our parents, um, that there's there's <laughs> there's still an ongoing sort of uh, games cultural backlash where people sneer at Bioshock Infinite now. Um, because obviously that was an absurd thing to say that Infinite, um, you know, created games as art. Whereas in fact, at the time, like, the, and the whole time since, there were all sorts of fantastic artistic statements going on in games uh, outside AAA, and, and maybe we just weren't paying attention in the right way at the time. Um, so I kind of want to, like, remove some of that baggage from infinite one way or the other and and just kind of look at what it is which is a a flawed but still uh very impressive uh shooter which weirdly reminded me of doom 2016 going back to it somehow ah. a precursor you know with all the uh, sort of the um sky hooks the spinning round sort of arena maps it's a little it's mm. a little quake arenary a little doom 2016 uh so there's something there mm. yeah worth revisiting for sure yeah for sure, uh, like that's exciting. So that's a uh, the next issue of Edge that that's out. That one, Is I'm, that, um... I'm not sure whether it's the next one or not. That's not very helpful. But you, you know, I'm I'm up for <laughs> encouraging people to buy every issue of Edge until it appears. I'm not I'm not um, I'm not above that. You know, I want Edge to sell. So <laughs> this is what happens when you're a freelance. You have no sense of when your um, work will actually appear in print. That's like uh, yeah, very <laughs> very kind of familiar. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's cool. Do you tackle when um, Burial at Sea is in there as well, Jeremy, or just the game itself? I didn't, but I had played um, Burial at Sea Part Two quite recently, which is on the quiet, mm. a very solid stealth game. Um, you know, got some really interesting stuff going on in there, like um, uh, in terms of sound mechanics and broken glass and stuff like that. You play as Elizabeth in that one, so you you kind of. Um, strike a different sort of figure and tackle scenarios in a different way to you know how Booker DeWitt would so yeah I think that one's definitely going worth going back to as well even though it's sort of very timey-wimey it's um 
it's got a it's it's almost a kind of return to uh, irrational's roots in some respects. Yeah, for sure. Like I always think of um, the, sort of like Ken Levine and the writers on those games. Like um, the the forces kind of pulling at them. On one hand, it's like you know um, sort of philosophy books they read when they were in college, and on the other hand, it's like uh, Marvel and DC comic books where a load of random bullshit happens. Um, and like I think those two forces definitely feel like they're at work in Barry Allen's Part Two. Um, yeah so yeah there's a, I, I think the emblematic um enemy type in uh infinite for me is the george washington bot you know that's the perfect <laughs> sort of meeting of uh high and lowbrow and and kind of shows to me that there's self-awareness at the studio there it's like these two things are quite funny yeah. when we stick them together <laughs> yeah oh great i can't wait to read that that'll be uh that'll be fantastic um so yeah like um e-fanfest that's good go go hang out have some beers sit in a hot tub um watch an fps get announced that's kind of what happens at e-fanfest right yeah an fps gets announced uh, pretty much every time and it's usually the same <laughs> fps and it is yet to come out uh, but you know i love digging into that stuff it's um i've been to that event so many times now that i can uh draw on years of sort of sediment of um old announcements and all that kind of thing in a way that I can't um, you know, uh, similar events so it's uh, that's really fun to do That's awesome. Um, I suppose then to switch focus to um, the, the not E3 of this, Jeremy, um, how have you found this past week of live streams and hype? Do you follow it that closely these days? Yeah, I mean, obviously I have a, a work reason to do so, but I haven't actually directly watched um, even half of the streams that have happened, um, partly because I go straight into work brain and I wanted to sort of preserve my energies for, um, you know, the takes, the writing. Um, also because, mm. I don't know, there's something about it now. It, it's hard to know even what the essential ones are. You know, there's obviously Xbox and Sony, and, and I guess Jeff Keighley's thing is a big one as well, but then you go beyond that and you've got uh, the Epic Games one, the Guerrilla one, the Wholesome Direct, and... At a certain point, I think that encouraged me to pick and choose and to go, you know what, I don't actually need to watch four hours back to back, three nights in a week. I I can just um, look through the roundups and uh, watch the trailers that uh, pertain to me. Yeah, for sure. This was actually like um, the first year where I was super selective with what I watched. So I watched PC Gaming Show and Xbox um, and dipped into some of the others. So I watched the Wholesome Games Direct, actually, which um, I find is quite divisive among people. Um, not sure where you stand on uh, wholesome games, Jeremy. I find it like fairly innocuous, and those games wouldn't live anywhere else. And I thought they actually had some. Um, some I had over five games from there added to my Steam wish list this year, which I thought was pretty good. But um, is that one you pay attention to? Uh, I did watch it last year, and I don't know what this says about me, but by the end of it, I did kind of need to see some blood. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was wholesomed out by the end, but and I do think that probably as a term that will. Um, be retired within a couple of years um but i do think that it's a useful way to group together a lot of you know worthy games um i also heard that it was a more sort of uh varied and better paced show this year so i may well go back to that i mean it's it's only right given that um you know summer game fest is uh unofficially the the blood and gore show it's just not in the title that there should be a direct counterpoint that that does feel fair yeah i sort of i, I do th- think it's funny that like um i definitely 
you know, games with guns, we're so kind of used to that now we don't even think about it. But games with frogs, the amount of games journalists I saw kicking off about that at the weekend. I was like, people are just absolutely sick of frogs in games. That did, hey, uh, games with uh, bears. Games with bears is the new, the new shit. That's where it's headed. Okay. So you did follow it for kind of like work purposes. How have you shaped your viewing habits around this live stream era um jeremy like how how kind of like did you sort of like interact with it and lap up the good stuff yeah i i relied on um i think a lot of outlets are doing a good job now of kind of um passing this stuff and making sense of it one thing i did which was uh really sort of enjoying my my new abilities as a commissioning editor was that (laughs) i um I asked Rich Stanton to write up the Sony show for me. So rather than watch it, I commissioned the piece of writing I most like to read uh, about that show and, and then read that. I mean, that's that's amazing, right. isn't it, to be able to do that? Yeah. I paid a man to watch this, so I didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> so. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's good. How was it, um, how was it for you? Yeah, yeah, a bit strange. I had, like, um, I had one of the games I was working on in one of the shows, so that was a bit oh, strange. Um so that was good. Um, apart from that, I was I was like pretty tuned into it. I was editing the podcast during Jeff Keighley, so I, I had it sound off, and I was just looking at all of the space games where people were getting uh, smacked in the head and attacked by aliens and robots and such um, on the uh, on a second monitor. That was that was good. Yeah, I thought the Xbox conference was was pretty strong. I kind of like I actually quite like the idea of E3 being divided up by subject matter. That's why I quite like the wholesome games one, even if you're right that maybe the term will kind of die out in a few years. Um, wholesome doubt is a great uh, phrase, by the way. Um, I think they're like I like the idea that there is like Warhammer E3, <laughs> and then there <laughs> yeah. is like wholesome E3. Like um, I'd be well up for like a retro FPS E3, and um, you know whatever else you want to throw in there, really. Um, yeah, strategy I th- games. E3. I think that's the Devolver show, retro FPS E3. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> um, I really like the Xbox show as well. I did um, cover that one from start to finish, and. Uh, did my best impression of uh, Rich Stanton for the write-up. Um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff in there that that interests me. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of um, curious um, if there was anything about the old style of doing things at E3 that you missed, Jeremy, because I've seen a lot of games journalists saying that they've kind of um, they're a bit burned out of the live stream format. We have all been at home indoors for like two and a half years now, um, and so maybe people are ready for a change. Do you kind of have any, have any thoughts on that? Is there anything about E3 that you miss in terms of the dynamics of this time of year? Yeah, I mean, starting last year, I started to think, and maybe I've, I've uh, stolen this thought because I think Keza has talked about this, but the idea that uh, E3 had a lot of value as a single punch, you know, a single combined punch, a very short space of time. I used to seem to see a lot more mainstream coverage of E3. I used to hear about it on the radio, you know, places where I'd never normally hear about games. I think uh, it loses its potency the more spread out it is and actually need all the major players to kind of um, throw the momentum in one direction to really make that kind of impact. So I think that's a shame that we don't reach those audiences so much. Oh, and this year, sorry, uh, this year I was thinking really that there's less journalism that happens around these uh, shows now because it used to be, you know, when Starfield uh, was announced there's not so much of the um, ability for people to be there and question Todd Howard, you know, he's quite an open man, he used to tell us things when Fallout 76 was Mm. announced we didn't really have a very clear idea of what that game was and that 
the uh, the full picture emerged in the coming days um and it was a combined efforts by various outlets you know questioning bethesda how does this actually work what's it going to feel like and within another week we had you know a better picture for potential players of what they'd be buying into i don't think we're getting that in quite the same way this time so that's a shame it does sort of seem like there are fewer interviews to go around for some of this stuff like um there was a really good IGN interview on Starfield actually that I thought blew it wide open. Yeah, um, that's true. That that reworked. Really but like um generally speaking, I think like being on the ground at E3, people so many people from so many countries get so much FaceTime with devs that maybe that is like one part of it. And there's also like a cascading real world element to E3 that's quite hard to explain the idea of like the the kind of like sleeper hit that spreads among people or like the the hot thing you hear about like there's it's not that relevant to the people on the outside but um it does kind of shape how things are instead everyone's looking at the same thing so it's it's like it's just culturally not the same when it's all happening on the internet basically do you think that's fair yeah and i think it might be hard as a viewer or a reader to kind of see the benefit to you of you know a bunch of games journalists swanning around la but there is that you know that temperature reading aspect to it and which then ends up informing what we write about and what kind of interviews we chase and that stuff is important um and yeah the access when nobody's there around the developers is just a lot harder to get so for for that reason I, I hope that there's some kind of physical event in the future although i don't miss back-to-back um half an hour appointments um and <laughs> running between them and apologising to upwards of 10 people in a day for being late I don't think that's a good system <laughs> yeah that was maybe kind of chaotic but hey you know it was more exciting than switching to another um, live stream tab or, or whatever or refreshing your browser yeah um, undoubtedly so, yeah. no I kind of miss, I miss it too so I totally get that um, one thing I kind of saw people arguing about Jeremy was whether there were enough actual good games to go around for the volume of streams um, happening this year do you have any kind of like thoughts on that discussion? I don't know if I buy into that. I I do recognise that there's a lot of stuff being delayed, especially in the AAA end because of um, the disruption of uh, pandemic and everything that's come with that. Um, but I generally think when there are fewer AAA games around, all that happens is we see through the clouds a little bit and we see more of the great stuff that's on the layer below you know there's there's never really a time where there's nothing happening not anymore um there's only games upon games upon games and hopefully you know if if the schedule looks a little too clear in the next year then we will spot things that we wouldn't have otherwise there will be hits on steam that wouldn't have happened otherwise because they were too preoccupied with starfield so, you know, I think there's uh, there are good aspects to that. Yeah, I think um, I think it does mean that a lot of the kind of games that were being announced were like from some different kinds of publishers. I mean, I keep forgetting there was almost no Ubisoft. In fact, I don't think there was any Ubisoft in this like last few days at all. Um, that's they're completely not a part of the picture. Activision, I think, just makes Call of Duty now. Um, so that's um, that's what they had there. Um, 
but yeah, it's uh, it's it, it does mean that yeah, some slightly different publishers and developers are maybe getting more spotlight than they otherwise would. Um, so yeah, I think that the hunger for AAA games is just um, just not currently aligned with where things are at. Like um, maybe next year we'll be caught up on COVID stuff, but it's really hard to say. So yeah, uh, so Jeremy, just uh, before we get to our kind of like top ten uh, lists, I was curious if you'd picked up any weird gaming habits lately because. I know I've, I've I've kind of like known you to have your sort of driver phase and um, you know your Call of Duty campaigns phase and all that sort of stuff. But aside from The Witcher, what's kind of like um, been going down for you in the past uh, past year or so in terms of uh, funky game habits? Yeah, I don't know. I was I was thinking about this and reflecting on my most recent driver phase and how intense that was. I think there was a little um, pandemic syndrome going on for me there. Not in the fact that I dedicated time to Driver, which I thoroughly recommend as a pastime, but just the intensity <laughs> of the way I explored it. And, you know, I, I got into playing uh, the original game on my Vita, but I became annoyed that the frame rate limiter on the uh, PS1 version was too, uh, was too limiting. So I decided to hunt down the, the PC version, which is actually incredibly difficult to do. I had to buy a disk drive for my laptop. I had to download a file. I don't know what this file does, but it used to exist in pre previous versions of Windows. They got rid of it because it became a security concern. It was like a potential doorway for, uh, for intruders. I reinstalled this file because without it, driver one wouldn't run. I took that risk with the laptop I used for work. And looking back on that, I think, well, would I have done that if I was able to go outside? I'm not sure I would have. <laughs> so I think probably my habits are a little um, a little more balanced at this stage, but it's funny to look back on uh, on the, uh, the way I was behaving in regards to my favorite games at that time. Yeah, I think my version of that is this entire podcast. Um, <laughs> uh, I, uh, yeah, I totally feel you, that makes sense. Um, I was curious, actually, on that subject, Jeremy. You um, you do listen to the podcast. Is there any observations from that that journey for you? How have you kind of found it as a, a sort of listener who who has been a guest before? Yeah, I I don't really listen to any of the gaming podcasts. I listen to this one all the time. I think um, the fact that you're you do talk about contemporary stuff, but you're often you know have your heads in ten, fifteen years ago. I think I find that to be an escape in a way that um, listening to other people exactly like me talk about exactly the games I talk about all through the day wouldn't be. Uh, so there's definitely something about that, yeah. And I really like the podcast has got to the point where you have returning guests and it feels like uh, there's a sort of cast of characters surrounding it. There's something special about it, yeah. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's a bit like that. I sort of... I take pride in build, building a little um, supporting cast of people, um, and then people ask those people, uh, those guests to come back on, and they do, and uh, yeah, it's it's just just quite nice, really. I'm still surprised people bother listening to it, but um, hey, that's on them, not me. Um, so uh, yeah, yeah. That um, said, I, I'm not okay. as classy as Jen Simpkins, and I will be accepting my uh, appearance fee. I still have some of that uh, <laughs> freelance energy remaining, and my new wage hasn't kicked in yet. So. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, you won't be paid in exposure uh, any no. longer. Those <laughs> days are behind you. Um, yeah, that's okay, Jeremy. Um, I'll make sure Matthew PayPal's you forty quid after this. Um, <laughs> very high, very high tech operation we're running here. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely fine. Um, okay, great. Well, uh, let's take a quick break then, Jeremy. We'll come back and discuss our um, top ten most anticipated games. Oh. 
You uh, you good, buddy? You enjoying it? I'm good. Yeah. How how you find? Am I doing okay? Yeah, for sure. I I think like um, I'm so not used to just having <coughs> one co-host who's not Matthew Castle. So it's like um, I'm recalibrating slightly. But um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm I, trying I'm trying not to think of myself as trying to prop up one half of the dynamic because it's just not healthy <laughs> to worry too about. Too much pressure. Yeah, M- Matthew, you, you you'll be listening. Yeah, I, I uh, about an hour ago, I I uh, I felt like I needed a Rennie, and I think I resisted having one because I thought, no, I'll just be in Matthew's shadow. It feels like <laughs> I'm just trying to embody him, and that's not the one, right way to go about this. Uh, you know, we have to keep this in the podcast now, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it's, it's too good not to keep. It has to stay in. Welcome back to the podcast. So in this section, uh, myself and Jeremy have both constructed uh, two top 10 lists that will count down of upcoming games that we're most excited about. Um, these games are, some of them are from the, the not E3, and uh, some of them are just kind of more generally games that are, are upcoming that we're excited about. I want to have something kind of forward looking on the podcast, um, just kind of like uh, break up the the very kind of like retro focus of the 90s, um, 90s episode. So Jeremy, I was curious how did you assemble your your top 10 here like how many of them appeared in not e3 and how many of them are just stuff that you've had your eye on generally i'd say there's probably uh an even split yeah it, it hasn't really defined um what i've um come to it did remind me about some some games which was good to see but um yeah i wouldn't say that it's it's um a post e3 or post not e3 list exclusively by any shot how about you uh yeah well i just put on um 10 space base survival horror games and then put them in order <laughs> and uh, i think that'll um create some good content um hey it no, is I, good I, enough I, uh... for jeff <laughs> uh yeah i did actually i considered one of the what putting one of those in there but i um i didn't in the end so um yeah it's it's a bit of a mix like i've kind of some of them are from the playstation state of play thing some of them are from uh, two of them are Warhammer games, actually. Um, so that's that's a, that'll make sense when I think we, when we discuss them. Um, one of them is an um, MIA um, a Nintendo game, uh, as we'll get into. So yeah, there's a, there's a good there's a good healthy mix in here. Um, so let's start with you then, Jeremy. What's your number ten? Yeah, sorry, just before that, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about the the games announced in Warhammer Schools, and I think I know which two games you will have picked. Uh, so I'm grateful that you remembered about it. So yeah, my number ten, <laughs> yeah. my number ten is uh, Thirsty Suitors. Ah, yeah, okay. Um, so I'm kind of vaguely aware of the the premise of this game. It has a very nice art style. So what do you talk me through it? Yeah, so it's um, uh, it's one of those games that's sort of best to describe um, its its uh, kind of story premise to get across what it's about. It's about um, a woman from a South Asian family in uh, America, I think in Washington State. So she's kind of returning home as a uh, as an adult and um, as a sort of Scott Pilgrim esque setup to it, where she's sort of confronting her exes um, from earlier in her life and uh, also dealing with um, a very imposing grandma and uh, repairing a relationship with a mother so it's very sort of interpersonal drama but the way it's expressed is this incredible kind of um, I don't know mix of uh, The Matrix and uh, Scott Pilgrim and and those kind of influences there's um, the encounters with the exes are sort of uh, JRPG style turn-based battles um, and they're really sort of um, 
outsized to use an American term you know cars are thrown uh, I saw one ultimate which involved the uh, protagonist I think her name is Jala her mum showing up with a gigantic slipper uh, you know sort of 30 foot mum and slapping down the uh, her opponent um, so it's a sort of action comedy game in that respect um, but it also has these really interesting sort of um, connecting um, elements too uh, the traversal around this town is uh, skateboard based so it looks like a really mm. sort of slick skateboarding sort of um, free roaming game in that respect uh, and there's also a cooking element that's when you when, when you're interacting with your mum and, and uh, cooking all these delicious uh, South Asian meals um, and I recommend that people kind of seek out the trailers on this because it really um, it has to be seen to be appreciated the direction and the animation um the team involved a few of the key members uh worked on into the matrix and uh, path of neo you know games that were oh, wow. yeah that was the kind of their early career experience and um you know the wachowskis were unusually involved on those games so they have this kind of incredible and unique experience of uh, uh cinematic video game direction um, and yeah, that definitely comes across there. I'm just really looking forward to well, a game that seems funny as well. I think that's going to be great fun. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's. Uh, I I don't think I kind of realised the scope of this game until you're laying it out. I, I was aware of the Scott Pilgrim like premise. Um, it did make me ponder if a game like this was based on my life, like, um, and it was just people had to like fight my two exes. There were just two. Like, what a short game that would be. Um, but, that's so yeah, that's, short that uh, people could uh, steam refund it after they finished. The <laughs> yeah, they play it and think, oh, this was a, a demo for Steam Next Fest, and like, no, that was the full <laughs> game. Like, uh, <laughs> um, that, that, that sounds really good. I also, you know, uh, surprise, surprise, the idea of like. Um, people having made like uh slightly average licensed games from the noughties is um and and invoking that as a kind of influence is really exciting to me so that's um that's great yeah yeah, yeah I that didn't was realize, that yeah, was my hook as well unsurprisingly that was what got me into <laughs> it <laughs> yep that is the weird puddle we find ourselves in on this podcast that's cool um is that coming to sort of all formats or like um it, it feels like a game that would be great on switch but i imagine wouldn't run on switch that's my the profile of game it is in my head Mm, I should have checked this. I know it's coming out on PC and presumably other stuff, but um, nice. Uh, I think it's just down as PC for the time being, actually. Um, oh, okay. I think. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, that looks great. That art style is beautiful. Okay, fantastic. Um, my m- number ten, um, much more obvious, is just Resident Evil Four remake. Now, um, mm. Jeremy, I was curious. How did you feel about the fact that people were having this discussion about leaks around uh, around uh, the last few weeks? Because this game was so extensively leaked that when it arrived it was like it almost registered no response from me and it kind of took me like a couple of weeks and seeing a bit more of it this last week to really kind of tune into how exciting it might be to see someone reinterpret resi 4 do you think there's any kind of fairness in that discussion of how how leaks spread and how it affects these things yeah i think i think a number of my peers feel this way but i think if a leak is only you know, getting a couple of weeks jump on a thing and is just, you know, removing any theatre from that reveal, then it's not of huge value uh, to anyone, certainly not the developers. But, um, yeah, I think sometimes people can conflate, you know, what a leak really means. You know, if a leak tells you about, 
terrible working conditions at a studio and you know reporting on that may help see them improved in the future you know that's a very different thing to finding out that a new resi game is going to be revealed in uh, in a couple of weeks time you know i don't think that's really a a, a great public service necessarily yeah I, I sort of i saw it and then just sort of nodded and went oh yeah there it is and like the idea of someone remaking one of the best games ever made should be uh, you know it should evoke a different response not that response um, yeah so that's kind of how that's how i felt about it but um you know the more i looked at it the the, the kind of like uh, the leaks were suggesting that this draws upon some kind of con- cut content from the game i don't know about that but all of the kind of like um ganado's kind of villagers they've been showing in the environments just look look super like amplified uh, visually just just so uh incredibly detailed and um and beautiful so um yeah i'm, I'm, I'm really curious and it, and it has a release date it's out in spring like it's coming so that i really like too like there's um you know the the kind of like more amorphous reveals where you're like they're still years away kind of like less and less interesting to me now i like knowing that a game is just um you know is less than a year away from from being in my hands essentially so um yeah was was pleased to see it there not entirely sure what shape this will take but certainly made a, a good first impression in terms of like color palette and capcom games always look really good uh, were you mm. ever much of a resi 4 guy jeremy no total total big uh blind spot for me um but am i right in thinking that this is the um the team behind the resi 2 remake the really good one rather than the, right. the third one yeah did you play that the the, the resi 2 remake nope no not a not an inch of it i have uh, no experience whatsoever um but yeah i i also really like the you know having things announced and and out in the near future one thing i like about the xbox conference was the idea that everything they would be showing would be out within 12 months that's uh, that's how i like things to to be done now yeah it feels like we're, we're more and more in that space um than ever um with the exception of um hideo kojima making something with cloud gaming that was like <laughs> the one uh sort of like uh, nonsense thing that um xbox allowed themselves which is which is yeah. fine um what's your number nine jeremy uh so i got system shock uh, which isn't called yeah, System Shock list, Remake. Ah, okay, we'll come back to that then. Uh, yeah, I feel bad now because that's a, a classic Jeremy game. But this next one actually is one I wanted you to talk about. So um, number nine on my list is uh, Flintlock, The Siege of Dawn. Um, oh, yes. That is its, uh, that is its um, like subtitle, isn't it? The Siege of Dawn, I believe it is. That's um, correct, yeah. So this uh, publisher, Kepler Interactive, really, really interesting. Published um, uh, Sifu, uh, this... Um, this year and like is working on this game scorn had quite a lot of stuff at e3 there was this trailer that appeared in the xbox conference it's coming out day one on game pass it's um a game made by a44 i believe is the name of the developer um and they are from new zealand this developer um uh, they're from me, uh, they're from new zealand yeah and yeah they're part of kepler's a really interesting outfit in that they're um you know, a group of uh, studios that are banded together to sort of pull their funds and make each, each other's stuff happen rather than a, you know, an overarching publisher, which is a really cool setup, I think. So they're, they're sort of part of Kepler as well as being published by it. Yeah, like a, yeah, a developer-made publisher. It's, it's quite an interesting um, interesting idea. And some of the, it's, I would say to the listeners as well, worth seeing the developers they've got under there as well. It's a really, really interesting bunch of, um, bunch of folks. So, uh yeah it's cool and this game kind of came to my attention jeremy because you wrote the cover feature for edge from a few months ago this open world 
kind of kind of dark soulsy looking um game but with where you are kind of hunting these sort of gods down and you have a little kind of like foxy dog like companion thing um kind of like couldn't get a, a, like a massive read on what it was but it, it does it does look really nice um, it does look quite quite dark soulsy um in, in kind of like how it seems to play um but i'm kind of like most into the sort of character design and world design they were showing off here like it doesn't exactly look like it's drawing from the same influences as some of the other sort of like uh third person action adventure games that you you see around these days um is that the kind of like vibe you got from um from kind of learning about it for the edge feature yeah very much so it's funny i'm, I'm looking directly at that cover now uh, which happens to be on my desk here um and seeing the reveal was quite uh special for me because you know, this was my my first uh, edge cover feature and and kind of had lots of discussion with a44 about what this game was going to be didn't have a lot of footage or kind of imagery to show me at the time so i was really just working this out through conversation and then to see it kind of you know to see the trailer and go oh yeah i i recognize it that is it that's exactly what they uh, described to me it was quite uh, uh it was quite a good moment and yeah, it, it has a really. It was definitely the world that drew me into it as well. Writing about it, it's um, Guns and Gods game, I think they call it. It's um, it's not not steampunk exactly, but a world that's very much about that kind of um, early flintlock weaponry and that sort of groundedness and grittiness, um, but mixing that with mythology. And there's something about bringing those two things into close proximity that kind of uh, changes the mythological aspect. I think it's um, it's really cool. This this sort of cat companion is um, is a little god in in himself, but you know by kind of being brought into this grounded world, he he's sort of humanized as much, as far as a cat can be anyway. And he's a sort of haughty <laughs> uh, individual. That's the impression I get anyway. And um, you're fighting against the gods of this world who have been you know worshipped from afar for uh, for thousands of years and then have suddenly showed up and turned out to be not all they were cracked up to be i really like the idea of there being this sort of um uh global existential crisis that's going on as people find out that the you know the beings that they've been worship worshipping and uh, asking for help with the you know, hard times in the in their lives turn out to be these horrible tyrants, and they they have to kind of take up arms against them. Um, and yeah, the idea of it being kind of dark soulsy, it's funny. It's you know, Elden Ring came out, and there was this whole kind of hoo ha of Western, mostly Western AAA developers going, uh, you know, it doesn't do any of the the kind of smart things in UI and presentation and and introducing players gently that we have as part of our best practice and players don't seem to mind and that's kind of shocking and it feels to me like Flintlock is the game that folds souls into that you know it's it brings that kind of soulsy combat into a you know it's made in New Zealand but that kind of um, western style open world uh, something a little more accessible, a little more story-driven, explicitly story-driven at least. Um, so I'm certainly interested in it for that reason. Yeah, and as the the name would suggest, like uh, mixes guns in a lot, like um, 
one of the things you're doing in this game is basically assembling um, a group of like experts in you know firearms explosives um, to kind of like off to, to kind of like aid your armory essentially and so you have a mixture of like um, the guns magic and um, you know and using uh, like, uh, melee weapons so essentially like it is a kind of like familiarly souls like um, mixture of gameplay elements but wrapped up in this world that looks a, a little bit different weirdly it kind of reminds me of something like hellblade where it exists the exactly what they're going for it kind of exists to the side of what other people are doing like it's not it's not exactly following the path of dark souls it's not exactly an assassin's creed style open world it's very much trying to kind of forge its own path um while kind of like um introducing those other influences so uh yeah i'm really hopeful and this will be day one on um game pass when it releases next year so i uh i, I look forward to playing it um mm. what's uh what's next up on uh, your list jeremy what's your number eight i have uh saints row not on my list so uh go ahead why are you excited about this one hey well i'm not especially a saints row fan or haven't been but um and I think you've talked about this a little on the podcast before, but the sort of um, the missing um, open world city driving games, the games that we don't really have anymore because publishers gave up trying to compete with GTA. Uh, but when GTAs are, you know, five, ten years apart, it'd be nice to have more of them. You know, and I think the GTA style open worlds are sort of thought of mistakenly by publishers as you know where the open world started you know almost regressive to go back to but i specifically love kind of you know getting in a car in a in a dense open world city and that kind of navigational challenge of weaving around other vehicles and mixing it with combat and all this kind of stuff i love that uh and i've missed it and saints row from the footage that I've seen looks like it's going to do that stuff pretty well you know it has some kind of um, weird driving combat specific mechanics of rolling around on the roof to um, to shoot at your opponents and um, and it also has you know sort of um, police chase mechanics and I'm really a sucker for those that's sort of my my driver gene kicking in there but I love the sort (laughs) of um, weird stealth that can occur in um you know in chase sequences in games of that kind i also like the vibe it, it definitely seems to evoke watchdogs too you know something that isn't trying to be a, a gritty crime drama it's um really matching the the natural tone of a, a a daft open world game but also having you know rather than these really sort of larger than life characters that saints rose had before a sort of uh just a group of, of friends i guess it seems very unlikely mm. that these group of friends would be challenging uh the the local gangs of the city but um you know as a space to exist in it looks really sort of easygoing and a lot of fun to me yeah like um it's funny because i think when they first announced this it got quite a cool response people were quite down on the characters and stuff and yeah maybe the tonal switch from the previous ones but i was here thinking that if like all this game is is like a really good version of this type of game this game type that remains very popular but it's entirely dominated by one series it looks as nice as this and it has these quite good vibes this beautiful looking city um 
and you know that that that's enough for me um but then you kind of citing these these additional um sort of like uh game systems mechanics that's that's exciting um I, what's the kind of like deal with the police chase thing then how does how does that work how have they kind of made that sound exciting yeah they, they haven't really specifically revealed it it's just kind of showed up as part of um uh some of the footage that's come out um i think only recently but um the you know they have a sort of mini map and and whenever there's a police car near there's you know there's a kind of uh radius around them and there's that kind of aspect of that gray area of being known or not being known to your pursuers is something that has kind of uh, dropped out of these kind of games in recent years and i think you know if you watch classic car chase films they're all about that they're not all about the pure screaming down a highway at 100 miles an hour there are moments of cat and mouse and that's what i really like okay great yeah yeah i can't wait to play that that one uh, that's uh that's out very soon is that september that's how i think i think it might Maybe be august. august yeah yeah real close that's exciting okay great stuff yeah i can't wait to play that it's been a long time coming a new saints row um so my number eight i have cheated and picked an old ass game um, but i did want to talk about this a little bit is a uh, persona 3 portable which is hey. coming to PC and um, PS5 and Xbox is going to be on Game Pass. Um, so this was like one of those announcements that did make me light up a little bit, even though I have all three of these games in my flat right now. So I don't know why exactly. But um, just kind of like the idea that they're more widely available for people. Probably would play Persona 3 Portable on my TV if it looks as nice as it did in the... Um, the trailers they showed rather than playing the old PSP version on my PS Vita but um, the idea that these kind of like uh, Japanese RPGs um, cross with like live sims that have like experienced like a real breakthrough moment in the last um, five, to, uh, five to ten years as um, western fans have like amalgamated and it's become one of the biggest RPG series full stop and it's just such a breath of fresh air compared to other other um, other games in the genre it's it's great that these are just now going to be just basically everywhere everyone will be able to play them all the time um they have become mainstream games essentially which is quite strange um jeremy where are you at with kind of persona is, is that a series you're kind of interested in did this announcement please you as well yeah it did actually it felt like a real uh in that xbox show just having the you know pop music blaring and the color it was it, i was grinning like this I've only played uh, Persona 4, that's the extent of my experience in Catherine, which I guess is a sort of Persona offshoot. Um, mm. And Persona 3 exists to me as uh, an icon in the Vita store costing upwards of £35, which I hover nervously over and never quite buy, and I'm now too late to do <laughs> right. that. So I'm glad that it's, it's going to exist in a new form, um, because I think otherwise I, I would never have ended up playing it. Persona 5 is coming first to different consoles and PC but like um, yeah so I assume Persona 3 will be next year but uh, yeah it'd be great to have those all th those all in one place um, yeah really good like uh, no idea what that team's working on next I know there is a separate fantasy RPG being made by the director of Persona 5 um, at Atlas so uh, curious to see that at some point but yeah I share Jeremy's enthusiasm for seeing something um, so colourful bright and fun at the um, at the Xbox conference so what's your number 7 Jeremy? My number seven is Metal Hellsinger. I'm aware of this game, but it didn't make my list, so uh, go ahead. Mm, I actually played this today. It's the only game on my list that I've uh, had an opportunity to play so far. Um, but yeah, it was um, shown... Um, I can't remember which show it was shown in. At some point in the last week, and a demo went live on Steam. 
at around the same time um, and it's uh, one of those FPS rhythm shooters uh, which is a sort of developing uh, genre or sort of spin-off genre um, there are other games that have existed uh, you know this kind BPM I know is one of them um, you know I don't think any of them has, have really kind of like met an incredible response this feels like the most promising so far um, and to me it feels like it's evolved from you know Doom 2016 and, and Doom Eternal not that they're rhythm games but they have a kind of uh, dance to them you know they're very sort of heavily rule rules based first person shooters there are you know certain moves that it makes sense to do at certain times and this feels like a sort of organic um, progression from that kind of thing to have an FPS which is about shooting on the beat, reloading on the beat, dashing on the beat um, and doing your finishes on the beat, all of that stuff. Um, and you know obviously since the first Doom the FPS has been intrinsically linked to heavy metal and this game has I think a completely new soundtrack with a bunch of quite famous and beloved uh, metal singers uh, so the level I played today featured uh, the singer from uh, Arch Enemy which is a, a band I saw when I was a teenager in Manchester and uh, yeah it's, it's it's great stuff what you do is you kind of you hit as many enemies on the beat as you can and, and as you do so the music builds and builds 16 times multiplayer even is when the uh, the singing kicks in and that feels like a really uh, earned fantastic moment a great reflection of you doing well um, and it's quite generous as well it doesn't really sort of um, even if you mess up and uh, you know your, your multiplier drops it gives you a you know a nice uh, decent dose of the vocal uh, before dropping you back to uh, guitar and bass and drums again and it's got it's got a really sort of um, it feels like a game where an awful lot of work has been done to make it feel natural and to support your kind of rhythm, like it's not just your crosshair and the music that's pumping out the beat, like even the there's, there's a sort of hellish environment and even the torches sort of blast out pyrotechnics at regular intervals and the enemies you're shooting, the you know the torsos pulse along with the beat so everything's working to kind of help you keep in rhythm uh, and it feels really kind of beautifully balanced in that way yeah i think it's really promising wow okay cool let's uh, is this a game that's like coming out soon or if there's a demo i assume it must be fairly far along it looks very far along it looks incredibly polished so um yeah i i'm not sure exactly when that's due but it feels uh feels close that's fine. Our listeners have Google. That's good research for you, isn't it? That's uh, that's good. Um, no, that sounds great. I'm guessing that the uh, lead singer of Alien Ant Farm hasn't made the cut, Jeremy, uh, for shame. Sadly uh, not, but uh, Serge Tankian from System of a Down, similar sort of uh, era vocalist, he's, yeah. he's signed up, so that's something. That's definitely a less embarrassing pick. <laughs> that's good to hear. <laughs> okay, great. Um, yeah, I can't wait to play that. Actually, I mean, do you say it's just is that demo just on PC now? Anyone can go go grab it. Yeah, there's like a good sort of hour of uh, of, of that to play through on Steam. Mm. Yeah, I definitely recommend somebody spending a lunch break doing that. Awesome. Okay, great stuff. Well, my number seven is uh, Warhammer Forty Thousand Rogue Trader. 
Yeah, um, that's one I one I thought. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought this would have been on your list, but then I thought maybe Jeremy would have forgotten that there was a Warhammer E3. So um, I'll I'll put I'll pop this one here. Um, yeah, full disclosure, I have worked on a Warhammer game in the last year, so that's maybe worth saying. Um, but I'm excited about other Warhammer games because it's always a great uh, backdrop for for video game experiences. Um, this is uh, the first uh, Warhammer CRPG. Um, but developed by Alcat Games, the uh, developers of the Pathfinder um, series. Is that what they're called, Jeremy? That is right, isn't it? Pathfinder Games. Um, I think so, yes. And so in this, you basically play these, like, as the name suggests, like a, a kind of like these scions of the Emperor, these like permitted kind of like basically guys who sell stuff, these traders. And you kind of form a party from with characters from different factions in the um, Warhammer 40,000 universe, which I really love. It was shown off with this um, quite gorgeous looking sort of like cartoon art style for the cutscenes and then like just really nicely realized like Warhammer 40k um, sort of environments and characters in the um, in the combat they showed off. And I think like it's one of those game types, uh, you know, like I, I always love a good, you know, Warhammer Cross with a whole bunch of different uh, sort of games. I'm, I'm excited about Space Marine 2, of course, and um, another game on my list that I'll discuss in a little bit. But like... Um, I think the idea of uh, adapting a kind of a CRPG around this universe makes sense. The different sort of like sides of uh, 40k you can bring out within that 40 uh, within that um, CRPG format, uh, how you kind of use the writing and where you take players, just has a lot of like narrative potential. Um, I assume you're excited about this one too, Jeremy. Yeah, I mean that Warhammer Schools event was full of stuff that you could have sworn, you know, must have happened before in Warhammer games, but bizarrely hasn't you know given how much how many warhammer games there have been over the decades there's never been a classic crpg style uh one and yeah i think that kind of format is ideal for exploring the weirdnesses of the 40k universe which um you know that are the most alluring aspects for me at least but they are the things that tend to get dropped uh you know in the case of a dawn of war or a space marine they don't really kind of um get the spotlight the crpg is built to kind of indulge you know certain aspects different kinds of industrial worlds cults all this kind of stuff i think uh, and alcat have a, a good reputation a solid one i'd say they're not them um, you know they're not considered sort of top tier uh classic rpg developers like an obsidian but they're they're on their way up i think so there's you know good prospects for this thing yeah for sure like those companions who can join you in the game are they range from space marines to sisters of battle and even eldari rangers so i really love that the idea of like the the potential conflicts there of having those different part those those members in your party um how good that can be and like to what you were saying jeremy like um you are exploring the fringes of imperial space um you have a ship and a crew essentially in this game so i think it really is like a a specific and cool uh, 40k fantasy that they're selling with this one so um, yeah I can't wait to see this one I was um, really surprised to see it and uh, excited for sure yeah. so what's your number 6 Jeremy? My number 6 is Minecraft Legends wow okay I didn't see this coming but it kind of makes <laughs> sense now. I, I didn't think it. you would yeah so this is kind of uh, Mojang's latest experiment in uh, making other games in the Minecraft world that aren't Minecraft you know they did um a Diablo style game Dungeons not so long ago which isn't quite so much my my thing um, but was was decent um, and this is much stranger it's um, 
a sort of uh, RTS directed from the ground, as far as I can tell. Um, you sort of defending the the Minecraft world from a from a pig pigmen invasion, and um, I have a real real weakness for this kind of hybrid real time strategy game that sort of peaked in the nineties and noughties because they never really sold. You know stuff like um, uh, Sacrifice and Brutal Legend. Um, you know, the the sort of more tower defense end of things as well. Orcs must die. I'm a real sucker for, and uh, Iron Brigade that Double Fine did as well. That kind of um, stuff that really embraces the messiness of the RTS by having you in a third person perspective, not able to keep track of everything, really speaks to me. You know, when I when I was younger, I, like you, Samuel, I played quite a lot of. Classic RTS stuff on the PC, you know, Command and Conquers and Age of Empires, but I have never been good at them. Like my brain just can't split in enough different ways to keep track of stuff. So a game that really sort of embraces that um, failure to keep on top of things um, <laughs> really suits me. Unless we forget, Baldur's Gate was a hybrid RTS game as well. The uh, <laughs> this is something that kind of gets forgotten because it became the defining shape of RPGs to come but you know mixing a turn based D&D system with a weird sort of isometric real time combat thing was a daft idea at the time and it, it was one of these sort of experiments that um, it just happened to do really well but uh, mm. yeah I don't know about Minecraft Legends commercial prospects given that kind of um, lineage that it seems to belong to, but I'm yeah I'm really fond of this kind of silly thing. I mean, this by virtue of being a Minecraft game will probably be the most played RTS like the next ten years, um, <laughs> which is quite an interesting prospect. But um, yeah, I mean, it is we have achieved like peak Jeremy Peel. I would say you have mentioned Orcs Must Die, <laughs> um, and you have you have invoked um, uh, Baldur's Gate to describe an, a Minecraft <laughs> game. Like I think we're like yeah, we're definitely in your home territory. Oh, self parody. Um, oh, I also forgot to mention <laughs> that the Mojang are working with Blackbird Interactive on this. Who were um, hmm. I think the the founders came from Relic, so they've got real sort of RTS cred there. They also made Hard Space Shipbreaker, which is my favourite of their games. Not an RTS, but a really great sort of uh, ship deconstruction, spaceship deconstruction game. Uh, but yeah, the idea of mixing those two studios and having real sort of RTS knowledge behind it as well is really cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I didn't realise that's what their, their heritage was actually, so that's... Um... That's great! Wow, cool, very exciting, and um, yeah, like uh, like all of Xbox's games will just be on Game Pass, so um, you can play it without going anywhere or doing anything. That's good. Um, my number six is the my only MIA game on this list, which is Bayonetta three. Now, I think this will reemerge at some point soon. Um, Nintendo tends to just um, there's a lot of like stories going around that Nintendo has finished this game like a year ago or two years ago, and it's just been sat on it ever since, which is. No other games company is doing that in the world, as far as I can tell. Um, but I do quite like it as a baller move, the idea that, oh yeah, we finished like a JRPG like 18 months ago. We've just been sort of like waiting for a bit of a quiet moment to push it out. I quite like that. Um, what I believe Bayonetta 3 is almost done, because um, it's while there has, there has been, um, there have been like platinum games in the last few years, 
um, nothing kind of like massive, massive scale. So I, I'd like to think that a lot of the talent is being soaked up by this. Um, and the idea of playing a, a new Bayonetta this year is still very exciting to me. Um, is this a series that kind of passed you by, Jeremy, or did you kind of um, give these a try? No, this def- one definitely uh, passed me by. Yeah, I really like that idea of though of uh, kind of sitting on a game for a year. It makes me think of you know your PC gaming nineties uh, episode, and the, you were talking about the kind of quantum leaps that would happen within a year or two years in that sphere, and you know games would get rebuilt in development to try and catch up with Quake or. Uh, Half-Life or whatever it would be I think today you really c- can just probably sit on a game for a year, put it out and have it not necessarily feel uh, behind in terms of graphical fidelity and you know control schemes and all that kind of thing there, there isn't that kind of speed of change anymore so maybe that's, why not, wait for the right window. Weirdly I think that happened with uh, Rayman Legends where they they pretty much completely right. finished that game and then it was pushed way back, which I, I think that was a Wii U, um, early Wii U game, wasn't it? So that's a that's a weird sort of parallel there. Yeah, it's, it seems so implausible to me as as someone who was like never ever ahead on magazine planning. Like there was never an issue that like when the next one started, I already had a flat plan done for it. It was like the next <laughs> the last one's gone. Time to start the flat plan. <laughs> that was me every single time. Yeah. So. The idea of like we've been sat on a fire emblem for a year is just preposterous <laughs> to me. Um, but yeah, um, good stuff. Uh, so, what's uh, your number five, Jeremy? My number five is Marvel's Midnight Suns. Ah, not on my list, but I was hoping you would bring it up. <laughs> um, uh, have you kind of dissected what this game is? Because I'm still struggling to get my head around it. Yeah, I'm still fuzzy on the details. It's definitely a game um, where I'm on board because of who's making it rather than oh. knowing exactly what it's going to be. Um, and I'm sure you can speak to the the fiction aspect of it, the sort of 90s comic influences better than I can. Um, but I did um, interview Jake Solomon, um, so from um, Firaxis, the XCOM series. That's who's you know leading this game uh, for Edge fairly recently. Kind of a, an overview of his career, and the things he was saying about this game are really interesting. That it was. Uh, in some ways a reaction against XCOM you know we're kind of used to games developers building on the things that have come before but I think in some ways it's more exciting when somebody goes uh, as in this case I'm sick of percentage chance there's not going to be any of that in my new thing <laughs> so yeah there's there's <laughs> not really that kind of trademark XCOM you know nervy shot taking that's not going to be a thing in Midnight Suns and it feels it seems even more intimate in scale than XCOM as well, almost sort of arena-based, uh, turn-based tactics, as far as I can tell. And for me, the sort of smaller scale, the closer that genre gets, the more excited I am by it. I'd rather be having you know an almost kind of John Wick scale uh, fight than to to play a country in civilization or whatever. You know, it's kind of funny actually thinking about the Firaxis is going to have you know the largest scale strategy game and one of the smallest ones at the same time yeah it might just be a perfect fit for the format though where like um i guess they're probably expecting a lot of marvel fans to just pick this up based on the license and they want them to understand what it is so maybe the scale there might help yeah. um i assume it's still using cards right to to kind of like work is have they kind of explained how that works yeah i, I should have uh, done a little more of the uh, the fundamental explaining there but they, yeah there's a 
you play as various Marvel heroes and they have access to, you know, unique cards and you're sort of playing from a deck while you're battling, I believe. I'm not entirely clear on on how exactly that interacts with the battles. And again, I'm not entirely clear on how the management layer above uh, those battles work. So there is still a lot of mystery around this. It's just the sort of pedigree involved and the, yeah. you know, the general thrust, the direction it's going seems really, really promising. Yeah, yeah, I... I um... Uh, for sure want to play this so like you i share i share your enthusiasm for for raxis doing something new and different so um yeah absolutely want to give this a try yeah like um as i understand it midnight sun's a fairly obscure um kind of like a set of uh sort of characters um here there's a lot of, kind of like weird dark magic-y stuff going on with it and a quite a, a disparate set of um of marvel heroes it's like one character from the runaways in there and then uh, you got your Iron Man and your Wolverine, and um, and they just revealed Spider Man, who seemed to be voiced by the same Spider Man actor from uh, Marvel Spider Man. Which, um, if so, that was a good call um, mm. to try and kind of link those together a little bit. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, quite quite excited for the potential of this because you think about like, you know, just in terms of sort of of, of characters, the idea of uh, a sort of like a wide roster is exciting in these Marvel games. The Avengers game got there a little bit, but you know, very hard to do in a game of that scale where there, you basically have to build a different third-person action game each time you add a character, which is a big ask. Um, here, you can sort of see them doing like a War of the Chosen-sized expansion that adds a new Marvel villain and a bunch of Marvel locations, and then like three or four heroes or something. Like the potential for it to become that very complete. Uh, kind of sort of package in the way that XCOM 2 did is quite high. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited that's, about um, it too. That's a pertinent callback, that War of the Chosen, which is an um, XCOM 2 expansion, right? But I feel like that mm. really is the moment when Firaxis were reborn as storytellers. You know, this is a studio rooted mm. in Civ, and it's not, you know, really systemic games. They're not really uh, traditionally a narrative studio, but as XCOM's gone along, it's gone further in that direction. And War of the Chosen had a set of villain characters who had distinct personalities and would taunt you during battles and stuff. And that feels like, yeah, that makes sense as groundwork uh, to do a Marvel game, whereas a couple of games ago, it would be very hard to envision <laughs> what Firaxis would do with something like that. Yeah, exciting to see them kind of take that next step. Um, so my number five is uh, Terra Nil. Uh, this was the first game that was shown in the Wholesome Game Showcase. It's a city builder from uh, the developer Free Lives, published by uh, Devolver Digital. Um, it's like uh, been pitched as a reverse city builder, actually. So you are basically uh, taking this irradiated, almost um, kind of like worn out, damaged environment and uh, rather than building it up you're essentially restoring nature to it and um and cleaning it up um and it was kind of like all wrapped up in this very nice visual style now there is a demo for this as part of steam next fest i've just downloaded that now in the background not played it yet um but the kind of like the idea of the ch of, of the chill city builder is more and more appealing to me these days um i say that having just played one in um, vr called little cities which i really liked um, Jeremy, I've been doing the kind of the old paradox sale thing where I've been hoovering up uh, City Skylines expansions <laughs> too. Yeah, um, and that that game's got good vibes, you know. But um, yeah, uh, so yeah, this is this is kind of another step along the road there. Um, I, don't, I don't know if this um, did this cross paths with you during the last week, Jeremy. No, I haven't heard of this one at all. So that's really cool. And I do think that there's, um, you know, the city builder has always had a sort of mood piece 
aspect to it they were always sort of um, relaxing to kind of sit in and in a way it was a shame that they were tied to you know incredibly complex uh, plumbing disasters or what have you you know it's in some ways a, a kind of tonal mismatch um, so I think it's great that the genre has um, you know has kind of worked that one out and it does feel like there's a, there's a sort of um, new tie to environmentalism in the genre as well. You know, City Skylines, at least one of those expansions is an entirely green-focused thing. Um, so I, I think, you know, as that kind of comes more to the fore in our societal consciousness than people of, you know, developers of, of uh, urban building games have gone, hang on, rather than um, just building... Um, a load of uh, uh, pollution pumping uh, stations. Why don't we try and make this a slightly utopian thing and uh, you know give players the pleasure of uh, rebuilding cities in a way that's more sustainable, which is cool. I, I like that um, that too. Even if I will confess that the um, it, I did um, for a long time leave the Green Cities expansion because it never quite sounded as sexy as like airports <laughs> or like. Um, <laughs> Art, de- art deco buildings or whatever yeah. um, but that's just because I'm a terrible person um, but yeah so yeah that was uh, my number 5, what's the number 4 Jeremy? Number 4, A Plague Tale Requiem Ah, it's not on my list but um, that's only because I've not finished the first one I did start playing it recently and uh, yeah this is um, this is like uh, kind of like quietly one of the most anticipated games of the year I think Yeah, I think um, considering that for a long time you know, it's kind of been a given that Sony makes a certain type of first-party game that you can only get on PlayStation. I think that um, Asobo, who's the studio that makes a Playtale, are quietly kind of threatening them, uh, that status. Um, and, you know, it takes a long time to build up to the level of a Naughty Dog or something like that. But, like, that last Playtale game was a really uh, big swing and it really paid off, I think. Um not just for Asobo, which uh, is a French developer. Also, I mean, Microsoft Flight Simulator, oddly. Um, but before that, they were like a support studio and they made sort of Disney platformers and that kind of thing. Yeah, they, you know, a big step up for them and also for the publisher, Focus Interactive, um, who, you know, in the past have, put, you know, I love Blood Bowl and some of the other stuff they put out, but they've often been a little sort of buggy, a little ropey. They, it seemed like they really put the budget and heft behind a plague tale and the result was this incredibly polished and beautiful action adventure thing which plays somewhere between an uncharted and a last of us i'd say um a lot of kind of set piece stealth and almost a kind of survival horror vibe um of kind of ammo conservation and and people's faces being eaten by rats um, yeah, it's set in a kind of 14th century um, France and is not especially historically accurate. It sort of mixes plague and English invasion and Inquisition with um, sort of supernatural betrayal of uh, disease. You get these kind of incredible swarms of rats that move sort of like a liquid. And as you move through that game, you're kind of pushing them back, usually with fire and torches, and kind of working your way through these um, increasingly uh, eerie and uh, and 
very unnatural environments. And this sequel is, yeah, this sequel is um, set further south as far as I can tell. It's It looks sort of Mediterranean, like there's a sort of uh, blue seas and uh, sandy rock and it brings to mind Karnaka from Dishonored 2 more than anything else for me. That sort of vibe that you're in a wonderful holiday destination but also there are things rotting in the sun that there's something terribly wrong um, which is an irresistible um, setting to me uh, and there's also a really fantastic dynamic at the centre you play I think she's called Amicia and who's a teenage girl insofar as you know they have the concept of a teenager in the 1400s and you're looking after your little brother Hugo and at the sort of the beginning of Plague Tale Hugo is uh, kind of he's grown up ill essentially you know his all of his parents attention have been devoted to looking after this little boy and his sister's been neglected as a result of that and you know events conspire that the two of them are on their own and the big sister's you know in charge of looking after Hugo but there are also these kind of bubbling resentments you know she's been jealous of him because you know her, her mother's been uh, been completely occupied with him uh, his whole life so there's a really sort of complex and grounded character story at the center of it uh, which is handy because the last game got pretty wild with the stacks of rats um you know it keeps it kind <laughs> of uh, centered yeah yeah, I should get this first one played, shouldn't I, Jeremy? It's like a Hall of Fame Game Pass game, basically. Yeah, yeah, um, I reviewed it at the time, so I, I had a, you know, a, a reason to, to push on through. But it's definitely worth finishing. It, it does get daft, uh, towards the end. But as I say, I feel like it kind of, in the most important respects, it kind of rewards your investment. And there are also, it's a game that um, backloads some of its mechanics. Um, without spoiling anything you know the rats aren't something that you just push away um, by the end of that game and I expect some of that stuff to return in the sequel too so that should be cool okay good uh, rat mechs that's my guess but I'm uh, we'll see how it goes um, okay um, so yeah okay my number four is system shock so we were going to discuss this hey. before so appeared at the PC gaming show um, lovely uh, Warren Spector um, turned up to introduce it. I don't think he's working on the game, but it was um, it was a nice kind of like handoff, I suppose, um, for Night Dive's long-awaited um, sort of like redo of the original System Shock. Now, Jeremy, I've, I've, I'm much more familiar with System Shock 2 than the first one. I suppose, what is it about this that you're excited about? What is it about the original game you kind of see this, this remake drawing out? I played some System Shock 1, but um, I think the appeal of this remake is that it's one of those... You know, sometimes you you get kind of Twitter threads where people say, oh, what was the game that you would remake because it has great potential or, you know, you think it's it's not really sort of playable um, today. And this is definitely one of those. It's not a game that is looking to just get prettier. It's a game that um, came out in the early 90s. You know, it was... Um, and it... Yeah, I think it's like a it's like a doom. Yeah, exactly. Game. And you know, doom defined what control schemes and expectations were for 
first-person games from then on. System Shock was developed before that, so everything about the way it controls is completely alien to us at this point. It's a, it's a really strange game to get to grips with, um, and yeah, it's, it's real a form of kind of archaeology to, to play that now. Uh, so much so that having this remake almost feels like getting a free new immersive sim, you know? It feels like, mm. well, this is one that I probably wouldn't have, have gone back to and, and tried again, but here it is, and it's getting, you know, I think all the dialogue's been re-recorded with, you know, original cast members like uh, Terry Brotis, the, um, who plays Shodan. Uh, and he was also a great writer, by the way. I think she wrote on Dishonored. Mm. Yeah, so it feels just like an enormous bonus for fans of a genre which doesn't have that many uh, games to its name. You know, it feels like a, a, a fantastic extra. And that visually, the, what they've done with it is, is really fantastic and quite hard to describe. There's a sort of... Um, almost pixel art touch to it when you, the closer you get to objects in its world the more sort of blocky they look um it somehow looks better than when you're further away do you know what i mean like there's a very there's a very unusual sort of um uh, aesthetic approach that they've taken um and it's got these really vivid sort of turquoises and uh tangerines and whatnot and uh yeah it looks fantastic, and I think it will just be a, a joy for anybody who loves, you know, a Ken Levine game. Not that this is a Ken Levine game, but System Shock Two was, or that kind of um, that kind of storytelling that became popularized by Bioshock that really started with System Shock of of um, piecing together what happened in a place in, you know, a strange order finding the bodies, listening to the uh, to the last will and testaments of all these uh, space station folk. It's going to be great. Yeah, I think like the way you put it there, if it's a free immersive sim, that's, that is kind of how I see it too. Like um, like you, this is... Um, the System Shock 2, I think, is fine to go back to. That will feel familiar to, like, uh, you know, uh, people who are playing FPS games in the late 90s. That's perfectly fine. Um, but the original, yeah, like you say, just maybe slightly too far back to... to be high on my list to revisit so the idea of this comes along um and just kind of like very playable a real kind of like nice facelift that's that's very exciting has like um been through quite a, like a long development this i think at one point they felt like they felt like they overscoped it and then trimmed it back again um to be a bit more bit, a bit more faithful to the original but whatever the end result is i just thought this gameplay looked really really good um so yeah yeah exciting stuff uh jeremy i can't wait mm -hmm. to see that What's your number three? My number three is Project Golden Necker. This is uh, CD Projekt Red's next Witcher thing, which is a Gwent solo game. Uh, and it's supposed to come out later this year, and we don't know what it is. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've got really, really heavily into The Witcher, you know, partly in preparation for our episode, partly because that was my, my latest obsession, and that's kind of run over the last six months or so. Um, and I had a really great time with Thronebreaker, which is the you know the the existing standalone campaign Gwent RPG. But this is supposed to be something different. They've already said that it won't 
resemble Thronebreaker, which just kind of uh, spurs the imagination. You know, it's it's, it's not going to be a Witcher Four. It's not going to be uh, this sort of grand three D adventure because that wouldn't fit something built around a card game. So whether it's going to be, you know, I'd like to see them try their hand at some kind of interactive fiction, some kind of um, yeah, something something sort of dialogue based maybe, but but not an RPG. I quite like the idea that although it obviously lends itself to the genre, Witcher games don't have to be RPGs. You know, I'd like to see more sort of genre experimentation, and I feel like this is going to be that simply by dint of not being specifically not being what they've done before. Yeah, like um, I didn't know this was out this year. I knew there was another web game in the works but I, I couldn't really fathom exactly what it was like you say if Thronebreaker exists what is this in a world with Thronebreaker and so yeah like the idea that they'll they'll have another swing at it is quite interesting and I think it's only set for PC and mobile this one as well Jeremy which suggests that maybe it's not going as wide as some of the other ones so um, yeah I don't know like uh, yeah curious yeah, one I, sure. I also really but, like what Gwent is now um, you know if, if the last time touched Gwent was in The Witcher 3 it is kind of a changed game it's not the three lanes anymore it's two lanes on each side and there's um, an awful lot of interaction between those lanes cars moving back and forth according to you know various rules a little more hearthstone as you might expect um, but it's a very sort of um, reactive and tactical game now um, but also one that I would never try and play uh, in multiplayer because the skill ceiling of CCGs just immediately puts me off every time so being able <laughs> to play that alone um, and thrash uh, an AI opponent is uh, is definitely my speed uh, well my number three Jeremy I think it's going to be higher on your list and that's Pentiment is it higher on your it's list? It's not it's not. Wow it didn't even make your uh, list yeah I don't know why not in retrospect uh, yeah, that's got a lot going for it, but we'll talk about that. Oh, we'll talk about that now. We'll talk yeah. about that right now. Yeah, so this is uh, a game developed by Obsidian, uh, le- led by um, uh, the very well-regarded uh, Josh T- Sawyer. Um, it is like a branching story game set over 25 years, I believe, um, in the 16th, set in 16th century Germany. Um, and you play as this artist and essentially are tasked with solving... Um, well, kind of. It seems like uh, at least like participating in trying to understand why a seri- uh, basically a bunch of people have been killed um, sequentially over the co- over the course of this period of time, and then you kind of shape the investigation as you go. Um, I couldn't exactly get the shape of it from um, from reading the um, the comms they put out with this. I could only like uh, kind of get to grips with the basic idea of the setting and a murder mystery in this setting and the idea that like it's a basically entirely story driven um obsidian game it's quite a, a quote unquote small game it's 20 dollars. it'll be on game pass um exactly the sort of game that oh, that only can only exist when obsidian's been bought by microsoft um but like it seems like a, a neat little passion project jeremy yeah too. definitely it's funny it it probably seems like a weird leap for you know a lot of obsidian rpg players but if you follow josh sawyer on social media for any length of time it makes complete sense you know this is a guy who 
I distinctly remember when Game of Thrones was happening, he would sort of deconstruct the the poor strategic representation of the of the the uh, the battles and whatnot after the fact. You know, he's a, he's a real dedicated amateur historian, um, and you know this kind of game makes perfect sense for him. And yeah, it, it, I think watching that Xbox show reconfigured my understanding of who Obsidian are in some ways. Um, you know, for a long time they were, you know, a contractor. They had to pitch all of their games to various publishers, and the games that got made were RPGs, which makes sense because those were the ones that publishers could see they had a great track record with. And right now, you know, the games that we're seeing from Obsidian are weird uh, medieval investigation game, and also Grounded, which is just you know just now finishing up. Um, sort of uh, miniaturized garden survival book game and yeah I think it made me realize that Obsidian maybe weren't a studio that wanted to make only RPGs they were a studio that were only allowed to make RPGs of course they had other ideas and now they're under Microsoft's uh, wing they can finally do that stuff yeah just kind of not worried about um, trying to hit a wide player base or like you say kind of pander to anything that Obsidian's been before just like so singular in its presentation um, compared to other games so uh, yeah and I, as I said to you on Twitter Jeremy this is 100% be um, a, oh actually no, maybe you just saw my tweet but um, games journalists will bang on about this game yeah. that's totally <laughs> what this game is um, yeah so that's, uh, that's and it's good. got this mad um, um, wood carving aesthetic to it as well isn't it which is got a a strange thing. I'm just now deciding that this should be an official licensed CAD file game. I don't know if it's too late for Obsidian <laughs> to go back. Also, yeah, I think you're right about that. Um, so, what's your number two? My number two is Redfall. Yeah, you definitely seem very one round by the presentation of this at the Xbox conference. Why was that? Yeah, um, I, I guess the so this is the new Arcane one from uh, Arcane Austin. So, uh, Prey and the original Dishonored. Um, and the kind of focus for presenting it this time around was to make clear to people that this would make sense as a solo game as well as a, a co-op one which is obviously what it's um, you know first and foremost built to be you know this is um, something that's never really happened before a co-op shooter um, from an immersive sim approach you know I, I, like I always like the idea of co-op shooters but I'm not really into the sort of um, you know, Diablo influenced looter shooters so much that doesn't really speak to me in the same way. Um, this mm. this is necessarily going to be something very different, even though it might not appear as such on the surface. And it's a really kind of strange experiment to have that kind of um, dishonored paced game where you're kind of observing the environment and planning and you know reading notes or what have you and um sort of taking your time to get to grips with the world and having that in four person co-op uh, just the uh, struggling to get my head around this uh is exciting in itself you know it's something that it's something that is made by my favorite people in games and i don't understand what it is and that's delicious yeah so i did like the presentation for this um I, I particularly like you don't see this enough in games like staking vampires as a mechanic like that was 
that was the best bit of um the game slayer shock which i i see you've played jeremy in some form but like the idea of just that kind of buffy the vampire slayer stake them in the heart with a piece of wood watch them kind of burn up thing that's like um definitely appealing and it looks like something they've done quite well here um, you were quite taken with some of the the characterization in this as well. Yeah, I really liked the description of uh, one of the protagonists, Layla, which is, I think, uh, the telekinetic threat in student debt. It's the, <laughs> the best uh, possible Twitter bio, essentially. But yeah, like I think yeah. one of the, the big draws of actually venturing into multiplayer in this is having the back and forth between these, these four weirdos. I think that'll be a lot of fun. I'm sort of curious to see what the structure will be of it exactly, but um, you know, like uh, yeah, of course, um, I'm never not excited about playing a new arcane game. So that's, uh, that's yeah, great. there's the um, the weirdness of it being open world, which no arcane game has explicitly been before, and you know how much of the incredibly dense and curated design can they spread across um, an island? I don't know. That's that's going to be. Um, a weird one to see but i'm already kind of imagining you know how i'm gonna play it how i'm gonna you know mainline the main missions with uh with friends specifically matt perslow of ign who's the person i play this kind <laughs> of game with and then you know mopping up the uh you know side missions and and whatnot in solo and, and having a different sort of uh, more reflective vibe while doing that that really sounds like a good time to me yeah, it's the sort of game that Matthew will play with me once again, <laughs> and then I'll just um, I'll just play it with uh, Jay Bayless, uh, my <laughs> other buddy. So um, yeah, it's all good. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah. I can't can't wait to see more of that. I, I was comforted by the fact that like it looked like an arcane game in terms of the fact that they haven't really done this setting in a game before, but the buildings and the overall art style just kind of looked arcaney in a way that was familiar to me. In a way that like when I look at Deathloop and Dishonored side by side I just kind of feel like I know they were made by the same people you know there's just some kind of yeah I don't know some kind of artistic something that was through line DNA for, whatever for sure I think fundamentally arcane build buildings as they would be made in real life you know they don't, they don't build them for sensible you know first person level design necessarily it's 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 <laughs> kind of like okay we've uh, we've made a bank and uh, now let's uh, see what we can do with it it makes me think of the first level of Deus Ex, you know, Liberty Island, Harvey Smith, who is the, you know, one of the lead devs on um, on Redfall, just based that heavily on on um, on the actual layout of that island, and as a consequence, there's just a lot of running around and, <laughs> and trying to make your way up this uh, this huge tourist attraction. It's not necessarily, you know, the kind of most sensible first thought for making a snappy fps but it does lead to kind of more thoughtful uh, interactions with the world i guess yeah the scale of that first level is preposterous in retrospect that's why like it's basically a room in uh, invisible war yeah. I think, um <laughs> by comparison <laughs> um yeah okay uh, great stuff yeah so speaking of um left for dead type games actually my number two is warhammer 40,000 dark tide jeremy mm. now I don't know if you ever played much of Vermintide or Vermintide Two. I, I I thought they were both great, but Vermintide One I slightly prefer because it was like less heavy on the kind of like loot and um, sort of like uh, sort of forging new weapons side of things, which um, I'm not as into. But really love the idea of like uh, basically like banter heavy, character driven, um, Left for Dead sort of like riffs with a lot of like uh, melee combat at their core. But um, here, this has been long awaited. This is a developer, Fat Shark. They have been 
working this for a while this um going from warhammer fantasy to warhammer 40k um creating these kind of like four very different types of characters and um having them fight a kind of like variety of 40k monstrosities adding like proper sort of range combat for the first time um just generally looking uh, a lot kind of sharper than um but the, the second uh, vermintide but looked a lot nicer than the first but this looks like uh you know as, as good as any other triple a game really and out of all the things that people were actually playing at the um summer games fest stuff this seemed to be the thing that captured people's imaginations the most and you know again it's a game that's coming out this year that i can play this year on you know uh, and, and that is that is appealing to me and um thought they took a, such a good swing at making um warhammer fantasy seem really accessible and fun and um they're going to do the same thing here with um uh, 40k characters and it just seems like such a good fit are you excited about this yeah, one yeah I, I played it you know some vermintide in vermintide 2 and i think you know they're certainly um among the most successful left for dead alikes which are obviously really difficult to make because there have been so many attempts at them and so few of them have been worth spending the time with um i was kind of similarly slightly put off um with um vermintide 2's kind of focus on longer term progression stuff i remember playing it with a friend and we were kind of passing a tome back and forth through the whole level for reasons i, I couldn't quite fathom um but <laughs> yeah just in terms of really sort of putting you down on the ground of of that world it was astonishing i remember a specific moment in vermintide 2 of in uh, one level where uh, a marching band of skaven would uh, would crash through some gates and just being genuinely alarmed by that the sudden change of pace the fact that they weren't aware of the the party immediately and we would maybe be trying to sneak around them or have this incredibly tough fight and um dark tide seems to really be leaning into that kind of thing the idea that there'd be these weird different kind of uh scenarios you come up against in the course of a level and that you know different characters on your team would be best suited to to deal with that kind of threat so yeah i'm definitely excited for that yeah i think like one character is a psyker and then there's there's like a broad array that are drawn from different um elements of 40k and they've kind of um they've 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 worked quite meticulously to make sure that a game like this sort of fits in that universe so yeah yeah i really can't wait um it's great to see them kind of continuing down this down this path um yeah it was great I, I, vermintide i had so many so many good times actually playing vermintide and like the um one of the things i loved is the, the first game had like a pub as your sort of central hub and then they um they actually added a level just before vermintide 2 came out where that pub got destroyed <laughs> and, they, and they set and they set up the premise of vermintide 2 which i really loved as an idea um that was cool uh, so yeah, good, good for them. Um, uh, this has been a long time coming, but but glad to finally play it. Jeremy. Number one is Baldur's Gate three. It's it's <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it, with a, an early access RPG? I think you don't necessarily want to see too much of it. He says, having uh, interviewed the developers about every single <laughs> the access update <laughs> they've done so far, but I'm kind of I'm kind of trying to keep my distance a little bit and not play too much of it. Um, because I think the finished thing will just be, you know, the Omni RPG. It will be everything. I'm playing uh, a Return to uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 recently, um, which is just such a fantastic um, game for just having a, an insane amount of um, interaction between stuff in the world. It's just um, anything you can think of to try in a fight 
it will probably be supported in some roundabout fashion um you know kind of having two party members drop into a tough fight by accident on one part of the map and circuitously taking the other ones back around and entering a cave from a different point in the map and then ambushing that same enemy um from a different angle you know doesn't make sense temporarily but fantastic stuff and uh, you know Baldur's Gate 3 is going to build on all that kind of um, um, ludicrous turn-based battling and also it, it just sort of does all the things that you'd assume that um, were kind of necessary sacrifices for uh, for the games that Larian makes like it has you know close-up perspective cutscenes and sort of great performances the studios really bulked up in number to make this thing happen so yeah I'm, I'm i'm kind of struggling to to get my head around what the full thing will look like we still haven't seen the city of Baldur's gate and that's kind of a mind-blowing concept in a larian game where you go to a village and every building is accessible and full of meaningful objects and you can go down to the basement and find somebody's secrets what does that look like on the scale of a city i have no idea um but that's a really intriguing uh concept and of course bring us as full circle back to the original Baldur's gates which i just really love for the sort of um um very dark but also very uh, oddly real atmosphere you know games about um iron shortages uh mixed in <laughs> with uh, ascendant evil gods um i've also got really into um the idea of the forgotten realms again recently which is quite a sort of vanilla setting but the the magic of it is is that it's a shared canvas it's this thing that literally thousands of different people have been scribbling away in for decades you know novel authors game developers dungeon masters and it's all valid like every every adventure you've had in that world you know that's attached perhaps to like a specific town or a wood or what have you in that world when you're in a another forgotten realms game and you hear those places reference you go oh yeah i was there you know i i did that thing this thing mm-hmm. happened or i listened to um you know i've got into the c team podcast um, which is a, uh, what do you call it, actual play, um, you know, a Dungeons and Dragons uh, live session thing. Um, and, you know, I'm invested in, in that world as well, and it's it all coexists, all the different weird tones and, and strange corners of that world have built up over decades, and, you know, Baldur's Gate 3 is another way into that. Um, with my mm. favorite or one of my favorite developers, so yeah, I think that's going to be a dream. Great, yeah, I love, love Omni RPG as uh, the descriptor <laughs> there. Um, are they kind of like rolling it out in like quite big uh, chunks, Jeremy? They do like acts at a time. Is that kind of how they're doing it, or is it much more piecemeal? It's, lately, it sort of seemed like uh, specific classes and stuff like that, but they've been a little more uh, piecemeal. And I assume that there's going to be an enormous. <laughs> an enormous chunk to come um towards the end uh i can't remember whether they've um what their sort of given window is for now 
uh, at this stage mm. for release. They have pushed it back a couple of times, but you know, I don't mind at all. It's a game that they've rescoped uh, during development to make it bigger, and rather than you know cut it back, they've just grown and grown <laughs> using all that divinity money um, and haven't compromised on it, as far as I can tell. So. So my number one on the other end of the RPG scale, I've picked uh, Final Fantasy 16 here. Now, I know this is like probably the anti-Jeremy Peel game in a lot of ways. Um, I'm sort of like, I, I retain a kind of never-ending enthusiasm for Final Fantasy. A kind of like uh, a sort of evergreen optimism, I suppose. And like this one, I quite like that Square Enix has kind of got to the point now where the numbered entries which used to come out like every year or every two years now come out like six or seven years apart this one will be almost seven years after the last one and obviously there's plenty of final fantasy in between um but this one i like what they've done with this one which is they did announce it when the ps5 was was um uh was was being released because it's a ps5 exclusive and they were like they showed off what it actually looked like um from the start and this time they've gone They've they've been a they've been quiet about it for so so long, and they've come out and they've with like a quite a big sequence of gameplay and story. Uh, you do play as a main character called Clive in this. That's like a, you know there's a lot. I've got I've got to still like mentally um, figure out how I feel about that, but you know <laughs> um, intrigued. Um, but like the thing that got people excited, including me, was that they they tweeted out who the developers were, like who the lead developers were. And they were like the main combat designer worked on Dragon's Dogma and Devil May Cry Five, and you can really see that DNA in the um, in the game. Now, I'm guessing, Jeremy, this is not your sort of thing, but kind of curious to hear what you make of it anyway. Do you have much of a Final Fantasy? No, no, not really. And um, I really like how um, Final Fantasy heads like yourself really sort of keep track of who the um, the directors are of these <laughs> games and their movements about within uh, Square Enix and and the significance of that and, and kind of getting a sense of what that's going to mean for the uh, for upcoming games in a way that's completely um, you know I would I would not be able to get a sense of what the next Final Fantasy is going to be like based on uh, on specific uh, Japanese guys who are involved in it <laughs> yeah it's it's partly because this is um, uh, Noki Yoshida's um, depart- uh, like uh, creative business units that was the joke I was yeah. making on Twitter that this is the uh, <laughs> that's a very evocative name for the studio um, so like he's the guy who say Final Fantasy 14 basically there's an amazing um, no clip documentary about that that I really recommend people watch if they haven't even if they are not interested in the game like the very the minutiae of how he like took people's time and accounted for it in a spreadsheet to like try and figure out how to save this MMO <laughs> it's such a great story and after you watch that you'll be convinced that he can do anything and then like as you see Final Fantasy 14 go from strength to strength and become this like you know a lot of people's favorite game in the series the idea of him being the producer behind a, a, a full single player entry for the first time is really exciting so I think that combined with the, the real time action chops um, behind this that's kind of why I'm, I'm pumped about it um, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, it does like visually look like basically <laughs> like all the other Final Fantasy games like has the same kind of mix of stuff but um, that's kind of where I'm at with it you know. But uh, Yeah from the outside yeah. it seems as if uh, Final Fantasy 14 succeeding and having this sort of long tail story has eased the pressure on um, on the mainline entries a little bit. You know, there's kind of um, 
people aren't so so desperate and maybe not quite so damning of these games when they come out yeah i think there's that combined with the fact that they are remaking seven as well yeah. means that you have like these basically like three streams of final fantasy so i think that's um you know besides all the other stuff they make but you know in terms of the stuff the core stuff that people are interested in that's very true um so yeah that's that that is the game it's out next summer very curious to see more of it but like um thought it made a good showing feels like a real game that i'll be able to play and sometimes these final fantasy showings don't give you that they give you um cg and then like take five years to come out so um yeah the guy who gets shit done with excel spreadsheets has uh seemingly done it again so i'm, I'm excited to see that um we reached the end of the episode jeremy thank you so much for joining me and giving up two hours of your free time you definitely earned your 40 quid I don't. I don't want think people to think that it, you know I've been uh, too mercenary about this. This is my favourite podcast. It's an honour to be here, and uh, and no one can really stand in uh, in Matthew's shoes. Uh, but yes, I will accept my forty quid. <laughs> yep, it'll be uh, PayPaling its way to you very shortly. Um, so where can people find you and your work? Yes. Yeah, so if you come to Tech Radar Gaming uh, TRG, if you Google that, you'll find um, work that either has my name or not in it. Or as uh, you know, I've uh, touched in some way, uh, or commissioned, or what have you. And if you go on Twitter, I'm uh, Jeremy underscore Peel on there. Um, I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Backpagepod on Twitter if you want to follow the podcast. Um, Patreon.com/slash/backpagepod if you'd like to um, uh, support us on Patreon and unlock uh, monthly bonus episodes. Uh, Matthew will still be on those this month. How we've kind of done it is that the, there's probably going to be two regular episodes without Ma- uh, without Matthew, um, but he'll still be on the um, XL and XXL episodes this month. So um, yes, it's uh, I-, I promise you he has a good reason for not being here, and he sends his best, as I say. So um, yes, thank you very much for listening. I'll be back. Bye. Bye. Bye.